So a natural asset company is a new type of corporation that holds the rights to ecosystem services produced by either a natural landscape or a working landscape. Those ecosystem services are estimated to be worth, you know, between like 100 and $150 trillion a year. The good news is that there are investors that are looking for ways to fund these types of preservation and restoration activities. It's something which will grow in value, but that value has really never been well understood. The Consensus and Conversation podcast is an opportunity to speak with inspiring leaders, innovators, problem solvers, and job creators, people across the country who are making the world a better, more sustainable place, and making good money while doing it. When I saw my good friend from college post on his social media channels about a new initiative at the New York Stock Exchange, I had to know more. So I called up Michael Blagrand, who himself has an awesome story, starting his career in the music industry and making his way to Wall Street where today he is the Chief Operating Officer at the New York Stock Exchange. Maybe this unique background helps Michael bring a creative perspective to what some mistakenly perceive as an old-fashioned institution. Today, we're going to talk with him about one of the coolest capital market headlines I've ever seen. The nation's preeminent stock exchange is launching a new asset class that will help protect and preserve our natural resources. As a former banker and social impact entrepreneur, this is right up my alley. When capital markets innovate, they can be an incredible power for positive change. So let's get into it, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to talk about some innovative products in a second, and one in particular. But before we do that, take a step back and get your thoughts on how the capital markets, what kind of role they have or could have to be a force for good in the world. My view is that capital markets and free enterprise are probably the greatest driving force for improving the human condition that there's ever been. And so at the New York Stock Exchange, we basically have two jobs. Help entrepreneurs raise money so they can hire people and build new products and improve the quality of life around the world. And then support the secondary trading of those securities so that investors can participate alongside as they grow the economy. And in both cases, you know, I think those are really noble, important pursuits, and, and they've created, you know, a tremendous amount of human happiness. One of the reasons, though, that I, I think it's particularly critical that capital markets be brought more to bear against, in particular, environmental concerns is that you need the scale of capital markets to bring the investment capacity, which is required to address really significant problems. Some of the estimates of the financing gaps for moving to a more sustainable, resilient economy put us at tens of trillions of dollars a year. And that's a scale that philanthropy cannot possibly fund. That's a scale that like even government programs can't possibly fund. Just the IPO market last year was something on the order of like 600 to $700 billion. 
So you have to bring those types of processes into the picture if you're going to begin to make a dent into some of these really like large scale societal issues. Just for context, how much volume is traded on the NYSE in an average day right now? On the average, you probably have something like a, a billion shares traded just on the New York Stock Exchange. Across all of the markets, both on and off exchange, probably about 10 billion shares a day. To sort of put it in context as a technical challenge, earlier this year, our systems had their busiest day ever, which was about, uh, it was just over 500 billion messages so an order or a trade or some other, you know, quotation update, um, 500 billion messages in a single day. So half a trillion messages, which to put that into perspective, Google does something like 5 billion searches a day. So we're doing like orders of magnitude more, a very structured, like high precision, zero fail <laughs> processing. Yeah. So these are, these are really sophisticated technical systems. Let's jump in and hear a little bit about this innovation that the NYSE has, has developed with, with its partners. What exactly is a natural asset company and, and how does it work? So a natural asset company is a new type of corporation that holds the rights to ecosystem services produced by either a natural landscape or a working landscape. And an ecosystem service is something like clean water, clean air, carbon sequestration, biodiversity, climate regulation, storm protection, thing, you know, things that nature does 24 hours a day that make life on earth possible and that underpin not just like life on earth, but also the industrial economy. Those ecosystem services are estimated to be worth between like 100 and $150 trillion a year. So a natural asset company is going to have the rights to the ecosystem services value. So one that I think people are probably most familiar with would be carbon sequestration. The good news is that there are investors that are looking for ways to fund these types of preservation and restoration activities. There, there's a, a significant amount of capital available looking for efficient, pure play ways to invest in nature. And nature, by its very nature, is a productive asset. If you preserve a rainforest today, a year from now, it's going to sequester more carbon. It's going to support more types of flora and fauna. So it's something which will grow in value. But as we said before, that value has really never been well understood. So over the past several decades, an economic discipline has developed called ecosystem services valuation, which groups ranging from like the Army Corps of Engineers and FEMA and others use to try to assess the impact of a natural disaster or to do cost benefit analysis if they're going to take on some sort of project. And so we have the ability to understand what is the value of a hectare of rainforest? What is the value of a coral reef? But if you look at 
gap financials for a company, none of that's apparent. So a natural asset company is going to be a very specialized type of corporation that's licensed the rights to ecosystem services that has a charter to develop and increase the value of those ecosystem services. It may monetize ecosystem services, such as by selling carbon credits or biodiversity credits, even operating kind of eco-friendly businesses. But the most significant value of a natural asset company is going to be the ecosystem services production. You know, because investors won't see those reflected in a traditional income statement and balance sheet, natural asset companies will produce both traditional financials and then also a new type of information called statements of ecological performance. And that innovation is something that our partners, the Intrinsic Exchange Group, have developed. We're working very closely with them so that listed companies, um, as they launch natural asset companies, will have clear guidance about how to articulate the value and the changes in value of those landscapes to investors. I'm curious, like, is there already a sense walking in how in demand this innovation will be for entities to use this charter to begin with? So there are basically two sides to, to the market here, right? One is investor demand to deploy capital into nature. The other is the landscape, either owners or managers that are interested in, in raising capital so they can perform the preservation and restoration. On the investor demand side, you know, as we said before, there's an increasing interest from a range of different types of investors to express sustainability in an efficient way. A very broad swath of investors, I think, will be able to participate in investing in natural asset companies. On the project side, right, on the, on the sort of supply side, if you will, of the market, there have been dozens, you know, just in the time that we've, we've sort of teased that this is coming. There have been dozens of really fascinating projects that have reached out. Many of them are, are sovereign nations. Some of them are private holdings. They're very significant land holdings for, from some private individuals. I would say some of the most sort of complex but most promising projects are with companies, you know, companies that are looking to make the move from extractive to regenerative. It's not cookie cutter in, in any way. And so finding a way that those statements of ecological performance allow for comparisons between projects that might be quite different is really critical. And so establishing the methodology for valuing ecosystem services, ensuring that each project properly discloses how it's going to equitably share the benefits of yeah. uh, the value created with local stakeholders and indigenous people and others that might be impacted on that area is an obligation of, of the exchange and, and the regulators to ensure that investors have comfort that natural asset companies are doing what they say they'll do. The exchange is one of the largest, most significant exchanges in the world. You're squarely in the center of the ESG trend. I'm wondering if you could just give us a sense for your perspective as the CEO of the New York Stock Exchange of these trends. Like, What do you think is driving fund interest, investor interest, corporate interest? Like, How, how have we gotten here? So you know, ESG encompasses a bunch of different dimensions, right? And so 
I think climate change is definitely a catalyst for ESG focus, but so are tragic current events like George Floyd, right? So, you know, you get the convergence of a bunch of, of sort of social developments that that are, are, are driving interest in both providing product and making investments. For NYSE itself, like we work really closely with 2,500 of the world's most important companies. And so I would say all of them have ESG on their radar in one way mm-hmm. or another, you know, sort of at the board level. They're all sort of at different points in their journey and their journeys may not all end in the same place, but everybody has stakeholders, whether it's customers or employees or local communities that, you know, they're, they're going to incorporate into their thinking. We're very supportive of our listed companies who want to have an efficient way to express their progress. Um, they want to avoid kind of overly burdensome regulation. But at the same time, you know, they're, they're trying to make advancements on climate risk, on their, you know, issues like pay equity and their, you know, governance models as well. This year's annual Black Lock Rudder from, from Larry Fink was really one of the most interesting he's ever done because it did really present the case for all sides of the ESG coin through a, a truly capitalist capital markets lens. In the last week, there have been a couple different states where legislatures have been talking about ESG through a anti-ESG lens. So I'm curious if, if you could give us your thoughts on the policy and regulatory environment around ESG. So I'll, I'll start by sort of sharing our kind of our approach, because there, there are other approaches out there that would look to establish quotas or litmus tests for corporate boards, for example. And we've taken a very different approach, which is instead of somewhat arbitrarily establishing what we think would be appropriate for a public company and either requiring or shaming companies if they're not at those levels, what tools can we provide to public companies that are going to help them achieve greater diversity on their boards or achieve more fair pay programs or better understand their relative climate impact to their peers um, or manage their climate risks. And so, you know, we've focused on giving people the tools to make better business decisions. So yeah, instead of, instead of telling people what to do, we think the right thing to do is let companies make their own decisions and let investors decide whether or not to reward them. You have regulatory proposals right now that would increase disclosure obligations. And we're hopeful that some of those rules will be narrowed so that they're kind of more appropriately balancing the disclosure benefits with some of the burden of complying with them. So having regulation in the space isn't problematic necessarily, but it's, it's got to be tailored and, and kind of built for purpose. Yeah. I mean, the flip side that we talk about a little bit too is, is you've got to give investors the opportunity to make these investment decisions if you want to. And I think one of the things that I'm equally wary of are the proposals to limit investor ability to use ESG funds coming out of a couple of different 
states. I think that's equally kind of problematic. I think there's there's probably a difference between private investors and government or, or public investment. And so certainly, you know, you've you've seen certain states and even at the federal government level, right, you've seen either threats or actual shifts in investment, you know, based on, on some of these political, you know, politicized issues. On the private investment side, I feel very comfortable that the market will figure it out. If as uh, this week, some people are, are threatening that they're going to not invest with, you know, certain asset managers because of their wokeness. You know, if a private investor doesn't want to put their money with someone because they don't like their policies, that's totally appropriate. And the market will figure it out. Despite the fact that clearly stakeholders of all type matter to businesses and matter to markets, the classic sort of like Milton Friedman view of like shareholder supremacy, I think is still important. And I think that, you know, you are going to have a sort of new equilibrium here, but the pendulum had swung quite far and we're going to find ourselves in a, in a more sustainable place as this dialogue continues. I mean, your, your marketplace that brings together the buyers and the sellers, the supply and the demand. How do we do the same thing? How do we bring together multiple sides, multiple stakeholders into the same trade, to continue the metaphor, so that we're all working towards something in common? Well, I guess if, if you want to use the metaphor, there are plenty of um, times during the day when the highest bid, right, the, the highest order to buy and the lowest offer to sell have a wide spread. And they're kind of staring each other down and nobody's willing to change their displayed quote. But you'll still find trades going off at the midpoint. And so I'd like to think that even if they're sort of calcified positions that are very public and out loud, that there'll still be the opportunity for us to get something done at the midpoint. What do you want to make sure that that listeners walk away having heard today? What's what, what are you most excited to make sure that folks are hearing coming out of your office and, and the NYSE? You know, as I said before, NYSE basically has two jobs help entrepreneurs raise money so they can improve quality of life and provide trading of those securities so investors can participate alongside them in, in the economic growth. What we're introducing now with natural asset companies is a new class of listed company where investors will be able to directly invest in natural capital and benefit from the preservation or the restoration of natural landscapes that grow the value of the ecosystem services that are produced. It's going to be awesome. Thank you to you and the team and the partners that have, I'm sure, worked tirelessly to ideate this and develop it into something that's real and you know has such incredible potential. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Big thanks to my friend, Michael Blaugren, for this awesome conversation. Who would have thought he'd go from 44 JFK Street to 11 Wall Street, and we'd end up talking about it on my podcast? Consensus in Conversation is hosted by me, Connor Gaughan. The episode is produced by our very own Will Gatchel and Chandler Bramstead. 
executive produced by me with editing from Reasonable Volume. Special thanks to Consensus Creative Director Kate Tucker. See you next week. Don't forget to rate us and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform.